Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, everybody, it's Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. Here with yet another edition of the old Church Planner Podcast, number 11, Once. Yeah, you just made up a language. Did I? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think Once is like <laughs> Latin, Spanish, and French all put together. Hey, it's Blade Runner, man. You're supposed to mix the languages. Ooh, I like that. And see, a little, uh, little, little uh, vision of the future there. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, uh, this is Podcaster uh, Magaziner um, podcast where you get views of the future. How is that for blending stuff together? That was actually not even clear. So, yeah, well, you know. Hey, guys, anyways, welcome. Uh, we are going to have an awesome subject today. Our topic is when do you raise the white flag? In other words, uh, every church planner knows uh, that they've all hit a brick wall, and they felt like it's time to surrender. I quit. I give up. Uh, maybe I wasn't called to do this. Um, somebody once asked Charles Spurgeon, uh, "Do you have you ever wanted to quit the ministry?" And he said, "Yeah, about twice a month." And uh, with church planners, I think you could pretty much say uh, at certain times every day. Um, but before we get into that topic, I just wanted to. Uh, highlight something uh, of interest to a lot of our people, particularly church planners that talk with non-believers. Um, hopefully you're doing that if you're church planting. But uh, the most common question that comes up is, well, if God's real, how could such and such happen? That is the age-old question. I want to highlight a book uh, that's come out by Philip Yancey. Um, you can get it. It's actually not even released yet for print by the publisher, but Phil Yancey has done something um, kind of unique. It's kind of where publishing is going right now. He's jumped ahead of his publisher about three months, I believe it is, and he's put it on Amazon.com. You can get it as an iBook or a Kindle for 7 99. What's the name of the book again? Uh, 
The name of the book uh, is The Question That Never Goes Away. And of course, like I said, it is about suffering. And it's a great evangelistic uh, tool. You can give it to people. Um, Phil Yancey is one of those guys, when he writes, he's super intelligent. Um, he writes thoughtfully. He writes carefully. Uh, he does not try to slap a Band-Aid on a flesh wound. He resists the temptation to talk about suffering in a way that, A, tells people what they want to hear, or B, oversimplifies things. And quite simply, what that means is Phil Yancey's not willing to go further than Scripture. He, he will not go beyond what is written. And often, what Philip Yancey argues in many of his writings that have a similar theme on suffering, as he explores this biblically, um, his conclusion is often people who who do try to over-explain or oversimplify uh, suffering actually do more harm than good. And so this would be a great tool just to open people up, uh, you know, just to, to kind of talk about some of uh, Phil's earlier titles. Um, he did write with uh, uh, Dr. Philip Brand. He wrote about the gift of pain. He wrote in the likeness of God. Um, uh, some of his suffering books were Where's God When It Hurts? Disappointment with God, which got him a lot of heat. He wrote for Christianity Today, and he got just... Uh, bags of hate mail, people saying, how can you be disappointed with God and still be a person of faith? And his response was something to the effect of, well, it just ask the psalmist. And um, so Phil Yancey, you know, it's a great book. Again, the question that never goes away. If you want to grab that, I would strongly urge it. In addition, um, evangelistically, he had another book, and it was called Rumors of Another World. Um, it's got another title. I'll see if I can find that before the end of the broadcast. That was a book written specifically as an apologetic. And so this latest book, um, if you're not familiar with Phil Yancey, one of his passions is to grab people outside of church and suck them in. Uh, his own story, he wrote a book about it called Soul Survivor, How My Faith Survived the Church. He was raised in a conservative denomination uh, in the South, uh, the church he was raised in was racist. They spoke against black people, and it completely turned him off from the faith. When he went to college, he avowed that he was an atheist or an agnostic, and he writes this book about how God spoke to him through people outside of the faith, um, people like, you know, again, he was an award-winning journalist. He would interview people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mother Teresa, and he said, I began to see Christ in these people. And I would say that, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis is one of those people. People outside of the faith, people outside of church uh, get a glimmer of Christ through reading the writings of Lewis, or maybe Tolkien is one of those type of people. So again, that's just a, a helpful tool for you if you're talking to a lot of people People and they want to know about suffering, I don't think it could go anywhere uh, more helpful than, say, to go to Philip Yancey's, uh, uh, you know, the question that will never go away. And uh, like I said, you get it for eight bucks. I don't get any kickbacks from this. I just dig the guy. I think his writings are profound. They're deep and they're worth reading and they're definitely worth giving away. So see if you can get a hold of that. Hmm. I got it right here up on my Kindle. Coolness. All right, so cha-ching <laughs> for Mr. Yancey. All right, well, let's get into our topic. Um, it, when should we quit? Speaking of suffering, if you love suffering, here's my commercial. Hey, do you love suffering? 
Have you ever considered a career in church planning? <laughs> you know, I was reading, um, we're, we're right in the middle of uh, getting the next issue of Church Planner Magazine done, and I can't remember if it was Church Planner Magazine, uh, one of the articles that you sent over to me to, to put in the magazine, or if it was Taking No Man's Land, which is a, a special um, report that's probably going to be up in the Church Planner Magazine um, app. Uh, by the time people are listening to this podcast, so you, you might want to go check it out. Um, but you had a, a line in something, and I don't remember which one it was. And you were quoting, I think it was your buddy Die Day Die. How does he say his name over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the quote too. <laughs> yeah, uh, Die. Why would you? What was the quote? It was something like, yeah. um, "Why would you become a church planner where you could just hit your head and you can just hit yourself yeah. in the head with a hammer or something like that?" Yeah, yeah, that was. We were doing a. Um, uh, one of our jump schools, which is, uh, we would train church planners and it would be one of our conferences. And, you know, when we sat down and, uh, it kind of came up with the theme of the conference and the, the topics, uh, that was Dice topic. He said, Hey, I got a, I got a topic title. Why plant churches when you can just hit yourself in the head with a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Die was kind of known for that man. He he had he had a way with titles. So uh, it was one of the best conference titles I've ever ever heard. Um, it's kind of like you know. That's I've actually said, it, Michael uh, Cheshire listens to the podcast, or at least he's listened to the episode where we talked about him, and he might just take that title and use it because that's a great title for a book. Yeah, we've talked about him in two episodes, and now we've talked about him in three. We're just going to have to make him the unofficial mascot. Absolutely. I'm, uh, you know, uh, he, he tweeted last night, you know, hey, heard Peyton Jones are talking smack about me that uh, Michael Cheshire is a big guy and, and he doesn't have a deep voice. And then he wrote, neither does Mike Tyson. And uh, so I wrote, well, I'm a little dude and I got a deep voice. There's been a mix up at the factory. <laughs> so, anyways. At the factory. <laughs> but I'm going to pretend that you tweeted that because he's a big guy. Um, I'm I'm kind of worried that I said that now. So uh, a very macho man, Mike Cheshire. In case I ever meet him in person at a conference, very macho. <laughs> in uh, case I ever meet him, let me <laughs> let me just start laying some groundwork now. Anyway, sorry, absolutely, we, we're going off it's, topic again. It's, it's what I call a, a, a punch buffer. It, it'll just when he punches me in the head, it'll be that much lighter. See, so, he's also got another great title for. I think it was like his first book that he named his publishing company after. Um. First punch and other, what was it? First punch and other lessons I learned from Jesus Christ, or punch first, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Such a great title. Yeah, yeah. You know, you find it's funny. You find with church planners a lot of times they have a sense of humor and they have a bit of a dark sense of humor. That's what I love about church planning. Die was that way. I'm I'm definitely wired that way. I mean. You know, and I think you need to because, and we're going to talk about this, you know, when to quit. I think at a certain point, every church planner, if he didn't start out with a dark sense of humor, definitely develops it because, um, you have to laugh. Sometimes you're either going to laugh or you're going to cry, man. And you just, you have to learn not to take yourself so seriously. So you start pointing fun at almost everything because, you know, it's just not like, hey, you know, oh, that was awesome. We had that Easter service, and look, we doubled. We had thousands of people come in, you know. Um, you don't have that. You know, we we were just talking, Pete, um, before the broadcast that, hey, we picked up two families for our Easter. We put tons of effort into that. But the cool thing is we picked up non-believers. 
who are bringing non-believers, who are bringing non-believers. That's what floats our boat. And uh, so for us, man, we get excited for one or two people. Um, you know, God kind of hardwired that into me. But what about when you're not seeing traction, you're not seeing movement, and you're always wondering, man, what am I doing wrong? Uh, what do I need to do different? And every church planner comes to that point where it's like he's counting the numbers and he's looking around the room and he's, he's eeny, meeny, my, mighty mowing heads. And, you know, he's counting the dog and the kids because you got to count the dogs and the kids, man, you know. <laughs> and we have dogs that come to our church. They, you know, as a matter of fact, we do. They bring them in the purse or that uh, one family isn't bothered to put them in the purse. And <laughs> the little dog is like visiting everyone around him <laughs> during the service. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've had an interesting time, man. We started with outdoor church. That's where that started. You know, People just which, kept bringing their dogs. Which, by the way, I got to bring this up because I thought this was so interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, but before you, I think it was before you left. I'm I'm sitting in the back of the church, and probably sitting with with Jamie, my wife. And I, I, I like could swear out of the corner of my eye I see smoke or or something. Like we meet in a school in a school auditorium. Are you getting Pentecost on me now, Pete? No. Then I then another time I turn around. Do you see any feathers fall from the ceiling now? Did and you? I see the dude <laughs> literally blowing out like the biggest, thickest, darkest puff of smoke <laughs> ever. Like it had to have been unfiltered cigarettes that he's he's smoking. And I I know this from personal experience because there was just like that much smoke, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I don't even know if that's legal, but like, you, you mean could in the church service. in the church service in the wow. back of the auditorium, and it and it wasn't one of those, uh, it wasn't one, of <laughs> it was not an electric cigarette, man. I'm telling that you, was my question, there is yeah. no way there is that much smoke off of an electric cigarette, and and I mean, my my first thought was. Dude, I think that's illegal. Like, there's all these signs everywhere. No smoking allowed on any school campus um, at any time because it's it's a I think it's a state law. And uh, but I was just like, you know, that could only happen at our church. You know what I'm saying? That's like, hilarious. That would never happen. That wouldn't even happen at Big Refuge. That would be like, you can't smoke in here. That's awesome, dude. You didn't see it that day. I guess that was just me. <laughs> You know, I I, I think I so scared focused. the guy off because I, I saw him and he saw me. And then, you know, like a couple minutes yeah. later, he took off. He bolted. Uh, you know, I'm so focused on the Lord on Sunday. Oh. That, um, oh. <laughs> 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 All right. So, you know, someone wrote in our comment, real talk for real life, man. That's what we're talking about. That's what that that's what you just witnessed from me. Real talk, baby. No, I'm teasing. So here's the deal. Um. When do you know it's time to quit? Because I get asked this question when I'm coaching guys, I'm always asked this question. And Pete, we were kind of uh, talking around because being a church planner is like being a spiritual entrepreneur. Um, you're taking this huge amount of risk. You're making huge amounts of investment and you're waiting to see the payoff. Um, this is just the dynamic of any entrepreneurial venture. And there's always those moments of doubt wouldn't you say pete even even in your line of work well yes but you know there's such a huge difference between the business world and the church world i mean there are similarities obviously in the type of people who you know are great at being church planners or 
usually the same type of people who are great at entrepreneurs. Um, but you know, there's, there's the whole spiritual dimension that's going on, which is a, it's a, it, to me, it's a game changer. It's such a huge game changer that I think this is an interesting topic because this is where I would say there's a, there's a huge difference in my opinion between business and being a church planner. Um, there are many times in business where I think it's it's an appropriate time to throw in the towel and that you should throw in the towel. In fact, it's unwise to continue. Um, I, I've got a, a great example, a buddy of mine, a um, good friend of mine, actually. I worked for him. Uh, we did a, a an endeavor together many years ago, and we trained loan officers. Uh, this is back when... Uh, before the the big crash that happened in 2007, 2008. And um, just, I mean, in Southern California, <laughs> you you really can't like spit in any one direction and not hit like three loan officers and, and two brokers. I mean, it's just. Or churches. <laughs> well, probably or churches. But I mean, it, it was it was just insane. In fact, uh, there was a study done that 80% of the nation's loans were done in Southern California. I mean, it was just. It, it was epic. And so we would train loan officers basically on how to sell and, um, you know, how to make more money and stuff. And when the market started to change, um, I left that and just focused more on the financial planning that I was doing. And he continued to ride this thing down. And he wrote it all the way down into the ground. His business utterly collapsed from doing, you know, mid six figures to literally nothing. Uh, He ended up losing his home, which wasn't, I mean, in the business world, an entrepreneur losing their home, it's, it's something that's always on the table for us because there's that kind of risk, almost like in being a church planner. I mean, in being a church planner, you might lose your home because you're always needing money. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the game. So I never personally faulted him for losing his home. I'm like, dude, that's the game that we play. I mean, you know, that's, that's the deal. We take risks and, Sometimes uh, it doesn't roll our way. Yeah, except the difference is church planners rarely become millionaires. <laughs> well, yeah, but see, here was the here, here's my point. Like, he still wouldn't change. It was like the market clearly changed. Yeah. He wouldn't yeah. change. He ended up losing uh, his wife. They got a divorce. He still yeah. wouldn't change. Yeah. And then the part at where I just told him, I go, look, I've lost all respect for you, was when he lost his kids. Yeah. Because um, basically he'd say, well, you know, I don't have the money to pay for a lawyer, and she does. And I'm like, dude, seriously. Yeah. I'm, I I have no more respect for you because well, here's, here's you, you, you haven't learned to, to pull the trigger. You haven't learned to walk away to say enough well, is enough. Here, here's the deal. Um, I, th- I think what you talked about was key. When a guy feels he should quit, it's probably actually the time to adapt. And – I think church planners sometimes, when they get discouraged, they start thinking emotively. They stop thinking uh, spiritually, and they stop. I, I can tell you that one. there's two ways to get me really emotional. Number one, deprive me of sleep, right? I got a little baby right now. I was going to say, number neurotic. two is get you another baby. <laughs> Absolutely. They're connected. But the, the second way is to, to make sure I can't pay my bills, 
And those two things, I've, I've learned to recognize my Achilles heel. I don't make lots of money as a church planner. Um, so I usually have to make money other ways. And Pete, you, you, you've witnessed this before, right? What Where, would you do for a thousand dollars? Anyway, go on. <laughs> it's an inside joke, y'all. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Um, when you are tempted to quit, it's probably a time where God's tapping you and trying to get you to adapt, trying to get you motivated into action to do something, to take steps, to take risks. We often don't do that until we're absolutely desperate. Um, when things are going well and people are coming in, we can tend to settle back. But when things are kind of desperate uh, and it's make or break, it's, it's fight or flight, baby. You either got to let that adrenaline kick in and get out there and do something, or um, you feel, well, I don't want to do anything except quit and go home, take my ball and run away. So I think that's a key. You know, just to um, to give a story, because I think stories are always helpful. Um, let me just say that uh, I can relate to Spurgeon saying that he wanted to quit when they asked him, um, how, how often do you want to quit ministry? And Spurgeon, or they said, did you ever want to quit? And he goes, yeah, about about twice a month. Um, the reality is for me, I can remember in every church plant, there were times, no matter how successful it was, that I wanted to quit at a certain stage. And sometimes multiple times in that church plant, if I had ever told people what was really going on inside, um, they, they would have been shocked. Uh, and, and probably would have freaked out. So I, I, you gotta be really careful who you tell your, uh, your discouragement to. Part of, part of leadership, although it's being transparent and being real, uh, there's one place I draw the line and say there's kind of one place you really don't want to be too honest and real, and that is, you know, you don't want to act like Bill Paxton and aliens go, we're going to die, man, game <laughs> over, game over. You I know? don't know if you're um, keeping up with current events, man, but we're getting, <laughs> we're our, getting butts our butts kicked. kicked. Yeah, you know, it, it's just not... You know, it's not ever good leadership to do that with your congregation. There are people you can talk to. You can talk to your wife. You can talk to God. And you can talk to a mentor or other other church planners and ministers. And that's really, really healthy. Um, and you need to do that. You need to always get a second opinion. Your opinion in those times absolutely sucks. And you need to, to have somebody who's not thinking emotively, because I know what it's like to think emotively. To go back to my story, uh, when we first started Pillar, uh, I can remember we, we, we start off in the Starbucks, um, then we got a, um, a little place, uh, it was a little crummy, uh, Victorian school. That was actually our second place. Our first place, they kicked us out of almost within a month. So we went to this old Victorian stone-built school. It was funny, man. It had like plaques, marble plaques on the wall inside of there. This thing was like ancient old. It had marble plaques of people who had died. And, um, you know, this is to commemorate the Great Wall, you know, and it had lists of people from the village that had died. It was a weird place to meet. And uh, the acoustics were bad. The place really sucked. Um, they ran a nursery in the week out of there. They wanted to kick us out. So um, nothing was going too well. And people's attendance sucked. At that time, we had about 30 people. And uh, I could remember um, there was one morning I just woke up. And it was like this black cloud just worked its way out of my heart, stuck to my rib cage, seeped its way out and enveloped me in every single thing around me. 
And everything I saw, my coffee tasted bad that morning. Uh, my sermon just wasn't flowing. And I can remember um, just feeling like, I don't want to do this before I even got. And I felt this funk. I got in the car. I drove to the church. I got in the in the parking lot. And uh, as I'm riding into the parking lot, I see like there's maybe like six cars in there. And I'm thinking, you know, my first thought was, you jerks. <laughs> no one came this morning, you jerks. I don't know if any any church planner ever feels like that. That's how I felt that day. Um, I was ticked off, man. I was just really upset. It, it's kind of, sometimes you get the feeling of like, you know, if, you, if you've been practicing all week and then you show up to the game and like half your team doesn't show up, like that never happens in sporting events, right? It never happens on soccer teams or lacrosse clubs or whatever, but it happens in church a lot. People are just like, oh, I don't give a rip, I'm not coming. So I was really pissed off, no doubt about it. And I walk in, and as I'm getting out of the car, I go to grab my Bible, and my notes are nowhere to be found. I have left my notes at home. So to top it all off, I'm not even, like, ready to preach. And I walk through the door, and it's like, I felt like Frankenstein, man. That's how heavy my my, my footfalls were, and I could just barely grunt like Frankenstein. I'm walking down this hall, and this lady, who was my elder's wife, I write about Jeff in Church Zero, Pam comes, and we called her, her nickname was Nanny Sunshine, because uh, she had a way of just lighting up your world with a smile and a hug. And she goes, Peyton! You know, and she uh, she kind of floated over to me like Glinda the Good Fairy, and uh, I, I I was like she she hugs me, and and I I'm just I didn't really hug back, you know, like when you're like you're just not there. Um, she hugs me. You had I, me uh, at uh, don't hug back, but anyway. Yeah, that's your thing. Don't ever hug Pete. <laughs> if you ever meet Pete and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the biggest fan. I love your podcast, and then you go to hug him, like he'll punch you. I just don't do that, right? And he's big. It'll I'm hurt. not the teddy bear. I'm not the teddy bear. <laughs> so anyways, uh, so she hugs me and I'm just not, it, you know, but I feel, I swear to you, like it did something. It was like a little bit of Jesus started to come through this hug. I can't explain that theologically and it sounds kind of gay, but the reality is uh, it, it actually ministered to me in a weird way. And I, and I started to, to crack a bit and I go, she goes, what's wrong? And I said, nobody came. Pam, no one's here. And she goes, Jesus is here, Peyton. And in, in, in my head, I wanted to scream like, but that's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do that. And I, I went back home. I said, I got to go get my notes. And I turned around. I got back in my car. I drive home and I swear to you. This black funk, and it was demonic. I got to tell you, it was absolutely demonic. I sit at home, and I go up there, and I see my notes, and I don't even go over to them. I walk into my study, and I had a sofa in my study. I sit on my sofa, and I just put my head in my hands, and I look down at this coffee table, and I'm like, I quit. I'm done, God. I'm done. I'm not going. I ain't going. There's no way, God. I'm, 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 you know what? And, I, and I'm having this prayer, and I'm going, screw them, God. Screw those people. You know what? I'm I'm sick of it. I already told you I quit ministry before we started this. I ain't doing this again. And I just had like this battle. And you know, I sat there. They were playing. Meanwhile, they're over there. They're playing worship at the church. And I think there was like 12 people there. 
And they're ding, 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 you know, and they're like kind of looking at each other and smiling. The worship leader's looking around the room like, where's Peyton? And I'm just not coming, you know? It's, uh, it was awkward. And uh, I finally decided I'm going to go. But I decided to go kind of like, I think I'm going to go and quit. And when I go there, I'm just going to chew everybody out. And so, you know, the people who showed up. Which is the right people to chew out. <laughs> you know what? I and, and the funny thing is, I've learned so much since those days. I'm confessing this like like I learned. Oh, my gosh, did I learn. Like my perspective, everything was wrong. It was still about me. That's the reality. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, 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 it weren't about Jesus. Or Pam's answer would have been good enough. It was still about me. And so, you know, I walk in through that door and, uh, and, and I just, I just stood in front of him and said, guys, I want to quit. You know, I, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I just started being honest with him, but I was, I was gentle. For some reason, the spirit gave me grace just to be honest and say, I don't even want to be here, guys. I was sitting at home thinking, I don't, I don't really want to be here. You know, um, I'm demoralized. I'm demotivated. I don't recommend doing that, but for me, it was the only way I could get through that morning. And then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to preach. And I have no idea. I'm just going to ditch my... I can't preach what I had prepared. And I opened up Ephesians, and I just started talking. And it was one of the most anointed things, I think, that ever came out of my mouth. And the Lord met with us, and it was great. And uh, no one ever held that against me. I think they did appreciate I was being honest. But I would say, you know, it's kind of like Daffy Duck on that famous cartoon where he's on the vaudeville stage and he blows himself up. You could probably only do that once. He says at the end of it, when everyone's cheering and clapping, I can only do that once. You might remember he's in the devil costume. I think you can only wear the devil costume, blow yourself up once. And, you know, by and large, though, you need to be talking to other people so that other people can give you the perspective that you need. We still haven't answered the question, when is it time to quit? But Pete, you got any thoughts on that? Well, I just, um, I think it's interesting to hear, you know, in the, in the straight commission world, I've said this before on the podcast, it's very much a volunteer sales force because every day you wake up, you're unemployed. So you have mm-hmm. to go out there and you have to work or you won't make any money. You won't be able to feed your family. You won't be able to take care of your kids. And, and that's a very interesting position to be in because now, like as a, as a manager and a, as an owner, I've got to motivate people who don't have to be there. Like they could leave anytime if they wanted. I'm not paying them a salary. Yeah. And one of the things that, that you learn very early on is very similar to what you said earlier. And that is, um, negatives okay to flow up. You just don't flow them down. You never tell the guy under you because you'll demotivate a guy who doesn't have to be there. Absolutely. So, I mean, I I definitely get that. Yeah, you got to be real. You got to be raw. You got to be honest. But there are just some things that you don't share with people underneath you. Yeah, because to be honest, like you're the leader. And you need to be leading in faith, right? Leaders have to have, and particularly church planners, have to have a good dose of faith. And faith is seeing what is invisible. It's being confident of things not seen. One of the things I learned from my uh, one of my cousins is a guy named uh, Jeff Schwartzentraub. Um, he's at Harvest Bible Church in um, Denver, Colorado. Uh, so he's he's actually Mike's neighbor. 
Um, but he, uh, Mike Cheshire's neighbor, uh, but you know, he once, uh, had a chat with me and he, he was talking to me about the importance of instilling faith in people. And he'd say, you know what, when I go into new works or, um, church planning or, or new ministries, I always tell them what's going to happen. And he says, because God has called me and given me a vision, I make sure I share that vision. And so a leader has to understand that his role is to instill the vision, inspire faith in others. That's that's a good chunk of leadership. Charlie shared a quote with me from Henry Blackaby yesterday, which was, leadership is moving others onto God's agenda. And I love that definition. Um, moving others onto God's agenda. Hmm. You're there because God has an agenda and he's let you in on the secret. And now you're making that secret public. So, so part of that is, you know, like Jeff Schwarzentrop says, um, you know, hey, you go in and you say, hey guys, you're not going to believe what God's going to do in this place. You know, you're going to be sitting there, you're going to be sitting in the room and you're going to, you're going to see people coming to faith. You start spelling out to them what's going to happen. You're going to see demon possessed people and you're going to see people healed. I mean, I told Long Beach all that stuff and sure enough, it's all happened. Um, when you're on the front lines, you don't got to make that stuff up. And sure enough, most of those people didn't stick around. Absolutely. There, that we've had our share of, of people who, uh, have kind of said, you know what? This is harder than I thought, man. So we've had our share of people quit. Um, and the reality is, uh, that now doesn't even phase me. In fact, I go in at the beginning. We inherited a core team with Refuge Long Beach. I knew out of those 30 people that most of them wouldn't hang on. I knew it. And I went in there actually in the beginning trying to get rid of them. I gave them what I call my John Wayne speech. We'll talk about this more when we uh, talk about building a core team in a future uh, uh, podcast. But I gave them my, my John Wayne, hey, you know, um, <laughs> listen up, Pilgrim. You know, the Jesus eat my flesh and drink my blood talk um, to get rid of people. I gave that for about six weeks until Charlie, first time church planning, Charlie takes me aside and goes, hey, man, you got to stop. We're going to lose them all. (laughs) I just love the fact that Jesus at a certain point kind of laid out the agenda of what was going to happen and turns to the, to the 12 and says, Hey, aren't you guys going to (laughs) leave? And Peter goes, Lord, where else can we go? Right. When you've got a core team of people are like, where else can we go? You're good, but you are going to lose people and you can't let that demotivate you either. You're going to lose people because it's a volunteer army, just like straight commission sales. They don't have to be there. It has to be for something else. It has to be that they really, really want to serve God, and they know this is what I'm going to do to do that. Yeah. It's actually very common. It's almost kind of like church planning church planning textbook that you'll lose your right-hand guy or you'll lose one of your key members that you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, man, I can't do it without this guy. And, you know, when I planted Pillar— uh, the day before our launch, the guy that I was window cleaning with that I talked about before, a guy named Yan, um, we were planting this church together. And I told him, look, man, I'm only in the country for another year and I'll commit to a year. And then you're taking this bad boy because I quit, man. I'm out of ministry. So I'll just keep working my job and uh, paying my bills and I'll help you set this thing up. But I'm out of here. The day before we launched, he goes, hey, dude, I, I kind of got to break something to you. I can't move back to this city, man. My wife's got this good job over here. And and it was like, you know, kind of like Woody Allen. You want to make God laugh, you know, tell him your plans. And uh, God had another agenda. 
And so, you know, I had my right-hand guy quit then. I frequently, when I'm mentoring church planners, hear similar stories. And the reality is, I'm, I'm just going to say it really bluntly, you don't need them. Yeah. You know, Yan remained a good friend like that in, in our friendship. I love that dude. He was so stinking gifted. Um, Would have given my right arm to have that dude. But I'm just going to tell you, you don't need them. You need one person. He's a third person of the Trinity. His name is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I would say about that from a from an entrepreneurial standpoint, one of the things that I would train my leaders who would have their own, um, they'd be trying to set up their own offices, they'd get their own agents, you know, because again, now they're in the position of trying to motivate people who don't have to be there, who can quit. And one of the things that I would just always tell them, I'd go, look, you have to go into this knowing no one else will ever be as driven as you are. No mm. one else will ever care as much as you. No one else will ever do as much as you. Don't expect them to. Give them the opportunity to, but just don't be surprised when they don't do it. And kind of what I'm hearing from you is you almost got to look at planting the church the exact same way. Your core team. Oh, yeah. No one's ever going to be as motivated as me. No one's ever going to be as committed as me. No one's ever going to basically step up to the plate like I am. Give them the opportunity to, but don't be surprised when they don't. Absolutely, man. Like That's why I gave such a big yummy sound, because you are the one that was called. Lloyd-Jones once said, uh, a minister must make sure of his calling, because there will come a day where that is all he has to fall back on. And what I love about what you, with the first comment you made, Pete, was you said, you know, there's a big disconnect between business and this. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. Um, you and I often relate because you're an entrepreneur, you get it. Like I found after I became a church planner, all my friends were entrepreneurs in the business world. It just seemed to be that we got each other. Um, God had brought me into the supernatural realm of risk and faith and adventure. And of course you guys, you know, eat that for breakfast. I, I had a funny thought recently that, uh, uh, church planners eat, <laughs> they eat poverty for breakfast. They eat poverty for lunch and they eat poverty for dinner, but they don't eat a lot of breakfast, lunch or dinner. <laughs> it's probably going out on Twitter soon, but, um, but the reality is you guys, that's what you do, you know? And so I found myself relating a lot to it, but, but sometimes when you're in that dark hour of the soul, all you have is your calling. Just even guys that aren't church planners. Um, maybe they have a, a, a bash up with, uh, one of their other leaders or, you know, the church just doesn't get behind a vision. And all those times, man, the emotions take over again and they start thinking emotionally. And you've got to go back to your calling. Did God call you to do this? And I think when you're church planning, you have to go back. Was that calling uh, that I had way back in the beginning, was that real? Was the vision that God gave to me um, for this community, is it fulfilled? Has what Christ told me I was to do, has that been accomplished? Then why am I putting my hand to the plow and looking back now? And Jesus said, when you do that, you're not fit. You're not fit for this kingdom work. You, you you have to just tighten your grip on that plow and just keep forging ahead. Keep plowing forward. Get your head down, man. You keep know, going. Don't it's interesting quit. that that you say this because <clears throat> you know since I we, we did that episode 
uh, a few weeks back where, you know, I mentioned the guy who offered me the opportunity to uh, be the CEO of that company. And I, I think it could have been worth a lot of money. I've had at least two other opportunities come up since then. And um, they were they were t- actually tougher to say no to. And um, and in fact, one of them I didn't say no to. One of them I said yes to, but it's because it's a short term opportunity. It's only going to take me thirty days. And but it, it does come back to okay, for me at least, it came back to what has God called me to at this point in my life. And so for me, it still comes back to, okay, I really feel called by God to do this Church Planner magazine that we're doing and this Church Planner podcast. And so does that mean I need to say no to other things? And so far, I mean, I'm saying no to other things. I mean, the things that I am saying yes to, I look at them and I go, can I fit this in with what I'm doing for the Church Planner magazine? And if that's going to, you know, because Church Planner magazine doesn't make any money right now. Um you know, and and if that you know helps me pay my bills, then I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm totally all for it. So, well, like like I said, you know, when when I'm poor, you know, I want to quit. I think that um, Rick Warren, you know, he was honest about some of the stuff that he went through when he um, uh, when he planted. I can remember him just sharing with us that I can't remember how soon into it it was that he grew up to about 200 and he said, I almost went nuts and I took time off. You know, I, I just went out in the desert, you know, and just went and sought the Lord cause I was just going to come apart. So sometimes we think, Oh, when there's no people, that's, that's when I'm going to quit. And sometimes it's the opposite. You know, um, I, I, I can't say I endorse, uh, Rob Bell's theology. And in fact, I would say quite the opposite, <laughs> quite uh, the opposite. I, yeah. I, I don't want to bash on the guy though. I don't like to bash on people, but, um, but the fact is, you know, he mentioned that, uh, within, I think a month, he had like a couple thousand people in his church. Uh, and he said he sat in, you know, the back room before a church just thinking, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this. So, you know, it, it's just to say that uh, it, don't always think that the temptation to quit is due to low numbers. Although in church planning, that is the norm. That's going to be, it's what I call, you know, especially because you have like seasonal attendance. Like right now we're in the summer, right? The summer months tend to be low attendance. So during the summertime, you're thinking, oh man, this sucks. Where'd everyone go? The offering's low. Don't know if the church is going to make it to pay the bills. It's what I call the pistons of church planning attendance. Um, you get, you know, kind of like half the people come up. If you ever watch a piston, uh, an engine cranking over, you, you see half the pistons up, half the pistons down, half the pistons up, half the pistons down. And the, the, the illustration I always use is that's how the car moves forward, baby. You know, I'm sorry if you don't get those pistons going up and down. It ain't what you want, but it's what fuels the thing. It's mm-hmm. what moves it forward. Um, people are people and you don't always know <clears throat> what people are going through and why they're there and why they're not there. Um, I could remember, um, feeling back when I was saying, like, I changed a lot. There were things that God had to teach me back then. Um, when it was all about me, I would get pissed off when people didn't come because I'm like, Hey, man, it's like a football game. And I can remember this one couple, they, uh, they didn't come for like six, seven weeks. And, you know, I really, I was looking at it. In one sense, there's this kind of thing like you, uh, 
you you almost validate yourself by attendance. You you try not to do that as a church planner, but it's a temptation. It's there. It's always in the back. It's always something you're going to have to resist. And uh, I can remember um, kind of feeling like you know I I really want this couple to be there. I'm I'm doing this kind of like head counting and. Um, and so I was kind of ticked off and I thought, you know, I'm going to go talk to him, give him the football team talk, you know, the soccer team speech. And, uh, I'm going to tell him they got to come. And, and right as I call them to tell them, Hey, I think I'm going to drop by. They said, we're so glad you called. They said, uh, we've been going through a really hard time. And, um, you know, uh, it was the guy, he said, um, actually my wife had a miscarriage. Ooh. About six weeks ago. And um, she's barely wanted to get out of bed. She's in a deep depression. I'm not doing much better right now. I'm trying to hold stuff together. But we, we need to get back to church. But we just, we haven't known who to turn to. We haven't known what to do. And we're just in so much pain. And I can swear to you, I felt like I was on a Marvel cartoon and I was like going to shrink down to such a small size. I could actually crawl through one of the holes. I'll be right over. You know, I was going to just crawl through the phone, one of the little holes on the, on the receiver, man. That's how small and selfish and self-focused and just pathetic I felt. And that was a first step, I think, to God kind of showing me, dude, it ain't about you. You know, there are people that aren't there at your church plant because think about it. These people, like Paul said, I mean, like Peter said, they're volunteers, man. They're, um, they're there. They, they, they've, they've, they've taken probably bit off more faith by following you and coming on your little church plant than they can probably chew. And it takes an enormous amount of strength for them to be there week after week. I mean, we've seen that in Long Beach, you know, we're, um, coming to church in Long Beach. It's not just spiritual faith you need. It's actually a faith that you're going to be physically safe um, to get home that day. Um, that you're not going to get mugged or attacked. You know that that when we were in the park, I just felt bad for our families, man. Like we had to send chaperones with people to the bathroom. Um, it it was it was it was rough. And uh, you know we thought, man, you know, hoping people's cars can get busted into. It was rough stuff. So. Um, what I was going to say is that a lot of your people, when you start seeing this through God's eyes, maybe the reason they didn't come is because they got a lot of pain going on in their life right then. You know, they're just barely holding on. Or maybe, you know, the guy's, you know, he's had too much to drink the night before because he's lonely after being separated from his wife. It's not that other things are more important. It's that, you know, these people, these people are struggling, man. And, you know, uh, and what I also find interesting is that at least, you know, looking at Long Beach, if you really want to know who's going to be the next one to quit, you almost just look to, okay, well, who's serving right now? Because <laughs> yeah. it seems to be you go like right from serving to, okay, we're done with this church. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because, you know, it's so much more than a participatory, you know, where you just, not participatory, but just a, a service church where, you know, you sit there and watch the big show. I mean, you're actually doing stuff, you know. Uh, I look at the people who uh, do our breakfast and stuff, and I, I think they're just awesome. <laughs> I love yeah. everybody who does our breakfast. You look at uh, Jeff and Jen and all that they do uh, running our kids' ministry. You know, kids' ministry for a, a church our size, you go, oh, how many kids are there? Well, there's actually a lot. 
And, you know, it's kids, yeah. so it's pretty crazy. Well, you highlight a, an important point. You know, people that are serving in church plants run a high risk of burnout. And that's what you're kind of talking about. When when we first started, I told everybody from day one, I said, look, we don't want you doing it. Whatever you're doing, we don't want you doing it every week. Um, I had to fight the old worship leader on that. In fact, that was actually the reason that he left was because I tried to give him a break. And he just didn't like that. And I, I kept saying, look, nobody can do this week in and week out. This is tough. It's hard. And, um, and so part of our philosophy is to give people a break, but you always find that people are like, no, I'm tougher. I'm stronger. And those are people who get burned out. And I've been doing this too long. And one of the philosophies I have and something we always tell people is, look, God cares more about you than anything you can do for him. And I always broadcast, yeah, I know, Pete, you've heard me say that a million times, because in a church plant, we like to keep it simple. Even though we're serving breakfast, we tell people, hey, there's no shame in taking a break. Um, You need to make sure that you are getting um, what you need out of this. Serving will definitely be a part of what you need. You need to be active in the kingdom. That That will fire you in many ways, but there will be times where you won't be fired anymore. You'll be burnt. And you know, one of the things that, that you just mentioned that it reminds me of is uh, <clears throat> in the book, The Grace Outpouring. Um, oh, yeah. Which I, I I know. I mean, I read it because you I think you tweeted it or something like, all right, I'll check out this book. And, uh, and I, you know, I grew up Baptist. So a lot of the stuff I read in there, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a little bit. What? What? But, the Holy Spirit. He's real. What? You know, no but, one told but, me about this. But one of the things that I, I really took away from that is um, I, I can't even remember the author's name. Sorry, but the the guy who's running the retreat center, he's like, you know, God, why is there this ebb and flow? I mean, you know, you do so much, and then it goes through a dry spell, and you do so much, and it goes through a dry spell. Why why do we go through the dry spell? And he said, you know, basically what God said to him was because you need the break, and I know you need the break, even if you don't know it. And, yeah. um, and I mean, people, you, you, I mean, they do, they need the break. They're doing breakfast. Yep. You know, look at our, uh, look at our audio guys, right? I, I've joked around <laughs> with you. We, we've got like the most massive audio system in the world for, you know, a church that would be fine with like, you know, a, a just a, a, speaker, a cup, a microphone, <laughs> a, a yeah. cup, just cut off the end of a cup and speak <laughs> through that. It'll work just fine. Hey, man, I like what Spurgeon said about, uh, you know, back in his day, he actually says, if you're not a barrel-chested man, you're, you're, man, you're not called to the ministry. You're not, you there to be you able, go. If the sound system breaks, you ought to be able to handle it. Right, right. I mean, the, the, I, I get how it can be too much for people. I totally yeah. get it. And how you can have burnout. But what about the original question, which is, when, when is it time to throw it in? When, when, when do you throw in the towel? Because I get... That you're going to make one, me answer the question. Aren't I you? am going to make you answer the question because I'm one of the answer. things that I, that I would actually recommend to people, but first, no, is that you get involved in a mastermind group of yeah. other church planners outside of your church plant. I, I think, like in business, um, the most successful people are in what we refer to as mastermind groups. And it just helps to be able to lean on other people who are in other businesses and see what they're doing, ask what they're doing, get a, you know, their insight on what, what they're doing. I mean, you know, this, I run a mastermind group um, that we meet once a a month for three hours on uh, Google hangout. 
on video hangout. And we got one guy in the Bahamas and a bunch of guys out uh, here in California. We had one guy in Florida for a while. And I think, you know, church planters would really benefit from that, from being around other church planters who are not in their church. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, it's funny, like, the first thing that I would do to that effect is listen to the Church Planner podcast. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and get the magazine, know, Church Planner like magazine. Today. Yeah, like, to, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the ticket. You know, you you want to actually, uh, you want to be interacting with Church Planners. I mean, I know it sounds weird. You know, there's times, I don't know if you're like me, where you're super busy, particularly if you're planting a church, maybe you're tent making, and a guy says, hey, another minister, hey, want to get together. And if you're like me, you always want to maximize and be efficient. So always in the back of my head is, yeah, but why? And right. and and so you're always thinking, are you a time sucker or are you and, – and it's horrible that I think that way because the reality is you need to do that and you need to do it without an agenda. Sometimes you just need to go talk to another minister. Sometimes you just need to go talk with another church planner. You know, you can you can tweet, we laughed, we cried, we talked about church planning. You know, you you need to basically uh, be connecting because uh like I talked to a guy you, right now. You know how we fix that in my world in the business world? Huh. Everyone has to pay because when you pay, you pay attention. <laughs> yeah, but the reality is for church planners, we don't have money. So, you know, it, it, it's just getting together. I, I met with a guy named Ray Chang, and he works with EV Free. He was uh, one of the interns with Chuck Swindoll back in the, in the days of uh, Fullerton. But um, Ray Chang is an Asian-American. He's really got his finger on the pulse of, really? of where Asian... Chang? Yeah. Huh. Absolutely. Go figure. But I tell you what, that guy... He and I get together, kind of like uh, Don Overstreet, Don the Baptist. Um, guy's been planting for 50 years, uh, has been instrumental 40. in mentoring. Oh, no, it is almost 50. I'm sorry. Go 50, on. Go dude. On. Yeah. He's 66 right now. Um, 50 years and has been instrumental in planting over 500 churches. Dude, meeting with that guy is like a kid in the candy shop for me. Um, I can talk and talk and talk to that dude. I'm like a fanboy when it comes to Don Overstreet. So, you know, it's like you meet with these guys and you walk away thinking I'm not nuts. Like you get each other. I think for, for both Ray and uh, Don and myself, you know, we share that kind of apostolic vibe, you know, like we're, we're there to equip other guys to plant. Uh, Mark Driscoll's is very much the same. And speaking of him, um, a book when you want to quit that you need to grab a hold of and, and read, read church planners, read their stories, read their accounts. Um, that is so encouraging. Lloyd Jones used to talk about when he got discouraged in the ministry, he would read. And that would, that would be, he talks about reading some of the Puritans. He read, um, oh, who is the guy he read? Um, I believe it, it wasn't Swinnick. It was, um, shoot. Hold on one sec. Uh, Richard Sibbs, um, the smoldering wick. Uh, he, he read that and he said that restored my soul. He said, some people go on vacation. I go to the 18th century. Uh, he would read about the great awakening, these moves of the spirit, and it would increase his faith. And he'd think, man, Lord, you're the same God of today. You're the same God who can do those things. And he would read the accounts of these guys that were radical and the weird stuff that they did. 
And so I would say definitely do that. But going back to Driscoll, you need to read um, Confessions of a Reformationist Rev, which is really just that. Each chapter is a confession of Mark Driscoll uh, as he was planting Mars Hill. So, you know, you see the big church now, you hear all the, you know, you, it looks all like glory and pop. And um, But the reality is you need to see, you know, before Pop Mart, you need to see them in the garage with the garage band, you know. You see you two filling stadiums. You need to know... That that Bono needed Edge's dad to loan him 500 bucks so he could, you know, buy an amp. You know, you need to hear those stories because that's where you're at. Right. So, uh, and, and what's great about that book, by the way, just a little plug for Mark, uh, that book has the best titles, um, rivaled only by Mike Cheshire's titles, uh, and yours truly, of course, yeah, I was Church. Say, and of course, Church Zero. Church <laughs> Zero, uh, don't you know? Uh, you know, it, it, things like um, each one is a confession, so it's a Jesus. You know, and then it'll be something else. My favorite one out of the book is Jesus. The offering this week was twenty four dollars, and all I want to do is buy bullets and shoot people with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, if that's where you are, guys, you need to get in touch with us. You need to read that kind of stuff. And my goodness, did a giant truck just start itself up out outside of my house? You know, one of the things too that I'll say, um, it, it's interesting because in America. Uh, I think it's something like 86% of people don't pick up a book once they graduate from high school. And um, which is, you know, just a massive amount of people who don't read. And the, the amount of people uh, in America who are illiterate is staggeringly high. And we forget that we, we absolutely forget that all the time because you just, if you read yourself, you just naturally think everybody reads and we're talking about people who are executives at Fortune 100 companies are totally illiterate. I know of one guy who um, basically what he does is he brings home his paperwork every night and his wife reads it to him and says, this is what it says. No That's one at awesome. his job knows that he's illiterate. What's his name? I'm not saying. But <laughs> the, my, my Sorry, point is. that is my dark sense of humor we talked about earlier. <laughs> well, my, my point is, is that um, – it's kind of a little bit – it's interesting because in the church world, uh, the average pastor reads 20 books a year, you know, which is completely the opposite of yeah. America. Yeah. So what I would suggest to people – and we're a this bunch is, of nerds. Well, in, in some ways, yeah. And you've got to understand you are not your ideal client is what we'd say in business, but in the church, you're not your ideal parishioner. You know, maybe that's a, a better way to, to look that's at it. That's an awesome point, dude. So don't look at everyone thinking they're going to be just like you because that's not the real world. One of the things that I would recommend that, uh, you know, perhaps if you're, you're sharing with people who don't read is, you know, that's kind of the beauty of uh, audible.com. Mm. Um, I, you know, last night I'm, I was at a mastermind group. The guy's talking about a book. I bought the Kindle, and Amazon said, hey, do you want the audio book? And I'm like, perfect, man. On my ride home, I can listen to the book. And, you know, I would recommend to people, you know. Absolutely. You don't necessarily have to read yeah. if you're not a reader. Listen. You know you know what else is on audible.com? <laughs> um, is it a book that has to do with church and zero? Uh, I'm not saying. All I'm saying is go to churchzero.com, follow the link to Amazon, and all will be revealed. And all will be revealed. <laughs> Shameless plug. So 
That's awesome, dude, because I think that's that's important. And and church planners don't have a lot of time. You know, you can uh I mean I'm I'm a voracious reader. You know, I'm only joking when I say we're nerds, but uh the the reality is most of you are. I'm just cool. But uh you know, you definitely, you need to be taking in, you know, you cannot constantly be giving out and not be taking in. And and at the end of the day, guys, no one's going to encourage you. You're encouraging other people. You're kind of waving the flag for everybody else. But who's going to ride your wild horses? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who's going to look after you? Um, you're going to need someone to be investing into you. Mark Driscoll invests in you when he writes to you. Uh, uh, John Piper invests into you. Um, you know, I, I love it when I hear leaders saying, Hey, you know, most of what I know, I learned from dead people, you know, being dead, they still speaketh. At one point we're going to do in church planner magazine, um, we're going to do an entire issue devoted to books, um, reading, uh, and, and part of that would be like, if you want to write, you know, um, how do you get into this writing thing? I got a message. I'm a messenger. I got stuff to say. Um, we're going to talk about all that in a future issue because, uh, there is no end to reading as Solomon said, but particularly in church planning, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Some of the books on church planning people don't really know about, and we want to get the word out on some of those. So, um, things that, that when you need like a tool, they're tools. You can reach for this one. Like, you know, Batman knows what tool to reach for, right? Does he reach for his grappling hook or his smoke pellets? You need to know what stuff out there is going to address what you need. And so a lot of it's just guys that have gone before you. They've hit the slump, the, the, the slough of despond, as it's called in Pilgrim's Progress, where you just want to give up and quit. So look, we've got a couple minutes left. We know it's a problem. We know that even Paul wrote to Timothy not to quit. He tells him, stick at your post like a good soldier, right? Endure opposition like a good soldier. Endure hardship. Um, a lot of what Paul's telling Timothy is don't give up. Run the race. I have run the race. I have finished the fight. Um, you know, endurance is a big part of this, guys, for church planning. Um, it's time to dig in. Uh, one of the things that, that we talked about um, was how Pete said, hey, at those times, it's time to adapt. It's time to get off your butt. It's time to do stuff. Um, I would say as well as maybe seeking the Lord, going out alone and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Often my prayer life gets developed during these times, and I get to the end of myself and I have to rely more on the Holy Spirit. Um, that is one of the benefits of what you're going through when you want to quit. And it's a time to come back to your calling and to say, Lord, did you call me? If so, will you call me again? Because I'm struggling right now, and Lord, I need you to turn up. God will always hear the prayer to glorify his name. That is one prayer. There's two prayers. My buddy says this, Adam Statmiller. He says there are two prayers God always answers. Um, the prayer, God, glorify yourself and save me from my sins. Those two prayers, God will always, always answer. So when you get on your knees and you're crying out and it's not about you, part of that is a refining process for God to just get it not to be about you and to just wean you off of that success syndrome, to look at the people in front of you and say, hey, it's about them and it's about Jesus. And it's about the people that aren't in this room yet. Um, just a funny story uh, before I do actually answer the main question. Um, I can remember during that time in Pillar where things were really rough. And, uh, you know, the pistons of attendance were up and down and up and down. And uh, I would think, man, if, if everybody came on one Sunday, we'd really have, you know, quite a crowd here. 
Um, I remember looking at the empty seats, and because I have a dark sense of humor, and I think that's one of your survival mechanisms, um, it's it's a defense mechanism, it's a survival skill, you need to learn to laugh at stuff that's not funny. One of the things I did therapeutically um, was I decided to make dummies. And this is this is one of the legends of Pillar Church. Uh, people that were there in the beginning when things were small will remember the the morning they showed up, and we made like six dummies. I kid you not. We stuffed uh uh we we called them gummy pooping because uh, that's the German word for rubber puppets. Uh, if you know your World War II history, uh, the Americans uh, faked. Uh, airborne drops before D-Day in different parts. And so they had these miniature rubber uh, dummies called gummy poop, and that's what the Germans called them. And they dropped them in mini parachutes. So it looked like a mass landing. They motivated all their troops to go the wrong direction. Well, we built these things. We called them gummy pooping, and uh, we built these dummies. So one was a lady in a burka. Another guy was, a you know, in Britain, you have like uh, what you call the, the chavs, which are kind of thugs, and they wear these hoodies. And so we had a dude, a chav. We had all these different different guys we had a a a goth rocker and we just used you know clothes uh to dress these things up and we stuffed them and we were laughing our butts off making them on a saturday and what i told people when they came on sundays i said look guys um these are people that need to be here. They're not here, but faith is confidence in things unseen. Guys, we're going to fill these chairs, but we need you. How will they hear unless they're told? How will they be told unless somebody tells them? How will someone tell them? How will they hear unless someone goes to them? And so, you know, it was a way of kind of getting the whole church re-motivated. Hey, there's empty chairs here, man, and we shouldn't be seeing that. That's not, we're not here for us. We're here for them. We exist for the people outside of these walls. So that was uh, just one way in which the sense of humor had to And the church laughed. Um, the church thought it was hilarious. And they thought it was kind of cool that their pastor actually cared enough to, to make that kind of uh, visible point. And to just tell them, yeah, you know what? I do want to see a chicken, a burka sitting here. Um, I, I do want to see a chav sitting here. And sure enough, that stuff happened. Um, we never got a woman in a burka in, but, uh, we got, uh, we, we got a lot of the other crowd in that, that could have been those gummy pooping. I just like saying that word, by the way. Yeah. So and I like hearing it. Yeah. Gummy pooping. <laughs> we, we need to throw that in. It just needs to be a thing in future podcasts. Everyone's like Michael Cheshire. Just, we just flash a gummy pooping for no reason. Gummy pooping. So, uh, anyways, that'll Can be... Can we make uh, a Gumi Poopin' of Michael Cheshire? Oh, that could be Ooh. our mascot. Ooh. There we go. The rubber puppet. So, here's here's the deal. Um, when is it time to quit? It's time to quit, in my books, when nobody comes, everybody leaves you, everybody takes off, you're by yourself, week after week after week. And you have lost the vision. Not other people lose. Notice I didn't say, I didn't stop and say, hey, it's time to quit when everybody else has lost the vision. Um, that's not time to quit. Time to quit is when everybody else has lost the vision and you've lost the vision. Then it's time to quit. Then it's time to reevaluate. Did I hear things wrong? But when you're in the thick of it and you still got people committed to it, hey, baby, in the New Testament, it was two or more. You got two or more people with you. All you got to get, if you've seen our video, the first follower, that's all you got to get, man. It's in our first issue of Church Planner Magazine. Just that first person that says, you know, I don't think you're nuts, dude. Is Jerry Maguire leaving the off- office with a with a goldfish in a little bag and the secretary who comes with him. 
If you got one person going with you going, I think this is this is something we can do. Two two by two, two or more, and you still got the vision, then keep going. Because you know God's not into the numbers thing. God will take Gideon with thousands of people and he'll he'll bring it down to less than three hundred people. And then he'll say, Right, now you know it's me. Now go take the city, do crazy stuff, march around for days so people laugh at you. But you got enough now. God is into little numbers doing great things. So that's all I have to say. Uh, Pete? In, in my final parting comment, I'll say that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I kind of like that. You know, and, and one of the things that it, it definitely reminds me of is, um, you know, we've already talked about Bob Coy, your interview with him when he wanted to quit. Oh, that is one of the best stories on what we're talking about today. And it also reminds me of um, one of the guys that we met at uh, a pastor's conference who had done a church plant and he had like 30 to 40 people. And, you know, he finally just closed it down after having done it for four years because he was burnt out. To which, you know, after a lot of the things that that you've said on this podcast, it just reminds me that, you know, look, there'll come a time where you might be burnt out. Maybe it's time for you to turn it over to someone else. Because I tell you, you got 30 to 40 people. Someone else will be happy to take that over. Mm, happy I'm to take it over. I'm so glad you raised that point. That was a huge oversight not to mention that. Um, that is absolutely essential to this. Um, yes, there will always be someone else who, who you're thinking, I, I can't hack this. I can't take it. And someone's going, dude, you're nuts. We got 30, 20 people here or 10 people for me. 12 people, that's a big core team. That's a huge core team. I, I don't work much bigger than that when I start a church. 12 to 20, man, is like, hey, that's awesome. You know, 12 people, 12 guys turn the world upside down. Let's do it, man. What, what's the problem? I don't see it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's my my parting thought is, you know, if you're done, it doesn't mean that God's necessarily done in that area. Talk to someone and I guarantee you someone will love to take it over. Guarantee Absolutely. It. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, if uh, you got any comments or you want to get in touch with us, you can always tweet us. You can always uh, go to the website and submit a comment there. We're always happy to hear from you guys as our listeners. We appreciate uh, you guys tuning in. We really appreciate you guys spreading the word. We count on you guys to um, Joey. And Jerry, to um, <laughs> to uh, increase our our listenership, um, we'll continue to keep it real. But there's guys out there who need encouragement, and we want to make sure that this gets out to as many people. Now, we actually uh, the figures are are quite good, but guys, keep spreading the word out there, and uh, we're going to have some great guests on here in future. It's going to start amping up. We're start starting to talk to some some pretty interesting guys out there. We want to have them on and interview them, but. Uh, just uh, keep keep checking, man. And we're getting ready. The uh, third issue is not far off of Church Planner Magazine. Keep checking back with there. We're trying to get you guys sponsors uh, so that we can get the issues to you for free. Although we're a subscription-based magazine, we want to continue to get it into your hot little hands uh, for our favorite number, which is the number free. So free. we're going to keep... Free, baby! So we're going to keep trying to do that. And uh, anyways, it's Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell... Church Planner Podcast, here to remind you, if you're going to reach the people nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. 
We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music